if you brought your Bibles, and I hope that you have, turn with me to 2 Chronicles. Back in the Old Testament, it's easy to confuse 2 Chronicles and 2 Corinthians. Uh, they're close in spelling, but not anywhere close in the Bible. Second uh, Chronicles, uh, back in the Old Testament, to the 29th chapter, chapter 29 of Second Chronicles. I want to read uh, several verses to you this morning, and then we'll go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Uh, I would ask, of course, we've got a lot of things to be praying for and praying about this morning, uh, but I would ask at this point, at this time in the service, that uh, you to be praying for our service. Pray that God's will would be done here this morning. Second Chronicles chapter 29, the first verse begins and says, Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old, and he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God uh, of your fathers and carry forth uh, the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. Also they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Wherefore the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem and he hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, and to hissing, as ye see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, be not now negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that ye should minister unto him and burn incense. Then the Levites arose. And, and it goes through a list of names here in verse 12, verse 13, and verse 14. And then we pick back up in verse 15, and it says, And they gathered their brethren and sanctified themselves, and came according to the commandment of the king, by the words of the Lord, to cleanse the house of the Lord. And the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord and cleansed it and brought out all the unclean, uh, uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it and carried it out abroad to the brook of Kidron. Now they began on the first day of the first month to sanctify. And on the eighth day of the month came they to the porch of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And in 16 days, or in the 16th day of the first month, they made an end. Then they went in to Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord. And the... 
Uh, see, we cleanse all the house of the Lord and the altar of burnt offering with all the vessels thereof and the showbread table with all the vessels thereof. Moreover, all the vessels which King Ahaz in his reign did cast away in his transgression have we prepared and sanctified and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Would you, would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you here this morning and we thank you, Lord, for uh, the good day you've given us and the blessings you've poured out on us. We thank you, Lord, for our church family, for each one that is here this morning. We thank you for our visitors. We thank you, Lord, for the roof you put over our head, the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have to gather here. We thank you for the many blessings that you poured out on us, but we thank you most of all for your son Jesus, Lord God, that you sent him in giving so that we might have life, have it abundantly. Lord, I pray that we would never take that for granted, but we'd always give you the praise and glory that you alone are due. And Lord, my prayer as we go forward here this morning, of course, there's been quite a few needs that's been expressed this morning, quite a few uh, things going on, uh, lost loved ones. I, I just, Lord, you know each and every one. God, there's nothing, Lord, that is uh, hidden from you, nothing that's a surprise to you. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would minister here in our midst in a mighty way. And, God, that you would do what only you can do. God, that you'd lift us up and encourage us. Lord, that you'd draw us near to you. God, that you would do what only you can do. Lord, the ones that are mourning, Lord, that you would just comfort them. God, those that are... Uh, that you know, maybe don't understand why certain things are happening. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would just move in a mighty way. And God, my prayer above all of these things, though, is that if there's any lost here this morning, if there's any that's not sure where they stand with you, if there's any that if they were to die today, they really just don't know for sure whether they'd make it to heaven or hell or if any of it's even real. God, my prayer today is, is that you would move upon them in a mighty way. God, that you would reveal yourself to them. Lord, that you'd prick their hearts. God, that you wouldn't give them any peace until they would repent and turn to you and get things right with you before it's everlasting too late. Because that is the most important thing in this life, is their walk with you, their relationship with you, whether or not they accept you. So, Lord... I just pray, have your way and your will in our midst. God, let your Holy Spirit be felt here in a mighty way, in your presence known. And God, help me preach your word this morning. Clear my mind of everything except for your message, your thoughts. Help me to focus on you. Lord, place in my mouth the very words that you'd have me to speak. Lord, let them just roll from my tongue. Lord, help me just to preach from my spirit to theirs. God, pour your, your anointing out upon us here this morning, and we'll give you the glory for it. Lord, we love you, we worship you, we praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Um, I had mentioned last week that about revival. Uh, as I went through and studying the Bible and the scriptures about all the different revivals that have taken place throughout time, and, I, and I'm sure that I've missed some, and I, I know I've not intentionally counted some of the smaller ones, but just in the Old Testament alone, as far as the, the big ones, right, uh, there, there is several. There, there's at least eight, right? The Bible records in the Old Testament at least eight 
great revivals. I'm talking about where people in great numbers have turned to God and have gave up their sinful ways, okay? And, and, and one of them that's probably so much uh, scripture is devoted to is the one that took place here in Hezekiah's time, right? Okay, Hezekiah is the king in the southern kingdom of Judah, right? Just a real quick refresher here, right? We think of Israel as one as a whole, but it was only one as a whole nation in Old Testament times uh, under three kings, only for about 120 years, right? Uh, We have Saul, then we have David, and then we have Solomon. And then under Solomon's son Rehoboam, the kingdom split in two, into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Uh, And they both had a series of kings, quite a few kings. I don't remember the number off the top of my head. The northern kingdom is usually referred to of Israel from that point forward. It's made up of ten of the tribes. And they don't have a single good king the whole time. It's just one bad king after another until finally in 722 or 723 B.C. They are carried away by the Assyrians into captivity. The southern kingdom is typically referred to as Judah, and they have a few good kings along the way, Hezekiah being one of them. Josiah is another one. Like I said, they have a few, not a lot. They have a lot more bad kings than they have good kings, but they have a few along the way. Hezekiah is who was king in the southern kingdom of Judah. When the northern kingdom of Israel is defeated by the Assyrians, by King uh, Sennacherib, and carried off into captivity to never return again. Okay? And so Hezekiah is the king in the southern kingdom of that time. And whenever this takes place, don't think that the Assyrian army stopped at the border between uh, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom thinking that, you know, oh, this is as far as we better go. We better not push our luck. No, they were marching south for Jerusalem, right? Uh, they, well, they did march south to Jerusalem. They were looking to conquer the southern kingdom. As a matter of fact, they sent messengers uh, with threatening messages uh, uh, and they spoke them. They shouted them in the Hebrew language so that the people would hear because they wanted to terrify uh, the people of the southern kingdom. This is the incident, if you were to read everything about it, where whenever they are encamped around the city, that one night the Lord sends the the angel of the Lord, and he slaughters 185,000 of the Assyrian troops in one night, right? He he prophet, the Hezekiah and, and the prophet Isaiah both are praying, asking for God's deliverance, and God's the one that sends the message to them that tells them, right through the prophet Isaiah, not to worry that I'm going that I'm going to take care of this, right? I'm going to defeat your enemy for you. And so, anyways, uh, so the Assyrians do not conquer <coughs> the southern kingdom because God stop them. I actually think the reason that God put a stop to that, now not without trying to go into the whole story, what happened was is Sennacherib after he'd lost 185,000 men in the middle of the night, he goes back home (coughs) to have two of his own sons kill him in his own temple, you know, the temple of the God that he worshipped back in uh, Nineveh or wherever it was, uh, Lachish, that he went back to. And so anyways, uh, I actually think verse 3 
is the reason God did what he did and things turned out the way that they did. Because it's verse 3, he hears Hezekiah, right? Hezekiah in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. I think this gives us some insight into why God's hand of protection was not lifted off of the southern kingdom at the same time that it was the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom had this, Hezekiah was a new king at the time, obviously, had this fairly new king who was serving God. Now, if you're not familiar with Hezekiah and everything, and it's so hard for me not to just preach his whole story, but I would need a couple hours to do it. But anyways, it would be good if you want to go home this afternoon and read about it. There's actually uh, three chapters in 2 Kings devoted to Hezekiah in the time of his reign, right? Uh, chapters 18, 19, and 20 in 2 Kings. And then we have four chapters right here in 2 Chronicles, which I'm going to preach from this morning and tonight, Lord willing. Uh, anyways, chapters 36 through 39 is devoted to it. Or I mean... 29 through 32, I'm sorry. And then there is four chapters in the book of Isaiah that is devoted to this also. And that's chapters 36 through 39. Now, all three of those tell basically the same story, but they have some different perspectives, <coughs> different focuses and different spins on it. And so anyways, uh, Second Chronicles... Uh, uh, mentions primarily the religious dealings, while Second Kings is primarily the uh, political dealings, and y- you know you can kind of see that. And so, anyways, uh, as a matter of fact, Second Chronicles here focuses primarily on these religious dealings, right? Uh, they focus on it. Really, focus a lot of it on the cleansing of the temple, which that was the biggest uh, spiritual threat, right? And, and then the uh, reinstating of the Passover. I wanted to talk about this in Sunday school this morning and felt uh, better that I didn't do it. But this is actually one time where they actually broke a lot of the rules trying to trying to do what God wanted them to do, right? They actually had to celebrate Passover a month late, and some of the people that showed up actually hadn't been cleansed the way that they needed to be cleansed, but Hezekiah went ahead and prayed for them, and God honored that. And so anyways, you see one of the exceptions to the rules here, though. But I think it's so neat whenever you read that. That is one place I'd never caught it or noticed it before. But when Hezekiah sends word to the northern kingdom, which all those that have been carried off into captivity never come back, but the few, the remnant that was left of the northern kingdom, he sent word to them and said, if you will come and worship and honor the Lord, he will bring your family back out of captivity. Of course, we know how that turns out, right? They all, as a whole, they didn't do it. There was a few individuals that come, but as a whole, they had a chance to turn to God, but they didn't. When I look at things that are happening in our nation right now, I see an opportunity to turn to God. I see an opportunity for a revival, but the question is, are we going to do it, 
Right? I, I, I have no doubt in my mind that, that if, we would, if we would humble ourselves and pray and seek the face of God and continue to turn from our wicked ways, I have no doubt that God would hear from heaven and that he would heal our land and forgive our sin. I have no doubt about that. I have, there's rays of hope, just like the ruling that has recently come out or just come out from the Supreme Court. That's a, that's a big deal. I mean, that's a really big deal that my entire lifetime I have never seen, you know, if that's been the law of the land for my entire life, I guess, since, what was it, 1973 or whatever. And so anyway, so we see this, right? What one of the justices wrote about needing to revisit the rulings having to do with same-sex marriage and things like that. There's a glimmer, there's a little ray of hope there. We actually are on the cusp of possibly having a revival, a real revival in this land. The question is, is what's God's people going to do? The word's been sent out. The message has went out. If you'll turn to God, right, God will heal your land. But are we going to do it? We look here at this, and I told you that Second Chronicles focuses on, it's from the priestly point of view is what it is. And, they fo- and it focuses on the revival that takes place and the cleansing of the temple and, you know, and the uh, Passover celebration that takes place. Second Kings focuses on uh, the threat from the Assyrian invasion and then the th- Hezekiah didn't realize it was a threat or recognize it as a threat, but the threat that comes later in his life from the Babylonian, from their visit, right? It focuses on that. The thing about all of this is a great revival broke out in the southern kingdom of Judah during the reign of Hezekiah. And that revival began with the repairing and the cleansing of the temple. Hezekiah started with the religious leaders, and that's what we that's what we read about here, right? Uh, I read a little bit of I read a little bit about that to you just a moment ago in your hearing, right? He called together the priests and the Levites, and he ordered them to consecrate themselves in the temple. Uh, the king, in other words, the king wanted, if you read this and you really look at this, the king wanted to get right with God and he wanted uh, the priest and the Levites uh, to, get, to do the same thing, right? So then the people could get right with God, right? Hezekiah's revival, if we look at this, when he, even when he told them to clean out the temple, right? Uh, I mean, get, the, get this picture in your mind for just a minute. Here's the shape that the temple was in. Hezekiah's dad was a wicked man, okay? Uh, Ahaz. And Ahaz had stopped the, had let the temple get cluttered and filled with idols and, and they had done, you know, all kinds of idolatry and idolaters worship in there and it just got, just think about it, it got filled with junk and clutter and finally got to the point where somebody had just shut the doors on the place, right? There was nothing that was happening there. So think about this, the great temple that set the Mount Zion that right it was supposed to be like a beacon of light there in Jerusalem to all the world it is setting there on that hill covered in cobwebs doors nailed and you know boarded shut uh, full of all kinds of junk that should not be there and here comes God raises up a man here comes a man of God Hezekiah who comes on the scene right in the first year in the first month of his reign 
he begins by a little house cleaning. Right? He, he himself, getting himself right, his heart right. The priest and the Levites, who should be the spiritual leaders, right? The next step was to get them right. Right? The third step is a place of worship, right? The temple of God. That's where they were supposed to go and meet with God. Is to get it cleaned out. Clean out the house of God. And here's the amazing thing. If you read that very closely, they started in the holy place or the most holy place. They started in the middle. And they worked their way out. The last place is the porch, right? That's on the outside. That's how it happens. That's how it works. From the inside out is how it took place there. Listen to me. That's how it's going to take place in your own life also is from the inside out. We get focused on these outward things and the things on the outside and we want to clean up the outside because we're embarrassed by it because that's what people uh, see. But if you don't clean out on the inside first, it won't do any good and it won't be very long until the outside will look just like it did before. So Hezekiah's revival started on the inside and it worked its way out. The revival became contagious. And it became contagious not because Hezekiah had reinstated some set of ancient rules. Don't look at it that way. But it became contagious because people's hearts were turned back to God. As I mentioned a while ago, Hezekiah's dad, Ahaz, he'd been a wicked king. And he's one of them that he he's the, had desecrated the temple and closed its doors. As a matter of fact, the previous chapter uh, talks about Ahaz's rule. And if you look at verse 25, it says it specifically about the temple. It says, And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. Those altars was for idolatry, right? To worship uh, false gods and, and idols and things like that. Things had gotten so bad that it took the priests and Levites, it took them eight days to clean that junk out. It actually took a total of 16 days to get everything right and set back in order just to clean out the junk in the temple and to consecrate it again. This, and this cleansing that is taking place here, I, I want you not just to see the physical because it's a physical cleaning that is taking place here, cleansing is taking place that is actually symbolic or representative of a spiritual cleansing, cleansing that is taking place in their lives and in their hearts and in their nation. You see, there was a lot of things in that temple that did not belong there. That's my point that I'm trying to get at. There's a lot of things in that temple that did not belong there. <coughs> did you realize today that there's a lot of things in the temple of God that does not belong there? Did you realize that? Second Corinthians, not to try to confuse you. We've been in Second Chronicles, but Second Corinthians over in the New Testament. Let me read to you a passage of scripture from there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. Here's what it says. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? 
For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Did you realize that you and I are the temple of God? Three times it says that in the New Testament. No, you're not. You are the temple of God. Temple of the Holy Spirit. Temple of the Holy Ghost. Did you not realize, right? That temple in the Old Testament, which was a physical building in Jerusalem where God dwelt, is a physical representation of the spiritual truth that we live and experience today, right? That building no longer stands on that hill in Jerusalem, right? And that was by design. God intended for it to be that way because now that holy dwelling place is the body of Christ. It's the church. It's you and I. It's everyone who is saved. And when, we're, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives with inside of us and that makes us the temple of God. Scripture here I just read to you says, what agreement is the temple of God with idols? Right? The temple of God in that day was full of idols and it needed to be cleaned out. It had to be cleaned out before revival would take place. I told you just a minute ago, we look at our nation, our land, and we can bring that right down to our community. And can you not see the signs that we are on the cusp of revival? But we're going to have to clean out the temple if revival is actually going to take place. God has set the table, as the saying goes. He's prepared things. I see where he is setting things up. I am more hopeful than at any other point in my ministry. I see where things are being set up, and I see where it can go either way. And it depends on what you and I do. Do you realize not only that we are the temple of God, but if we're the temple of God, then we ought to act like it. And I told you that in order for revival to take place in Hezekiah's day, the first thing they had to do was clean out the temple. And the same is still true for us today. So let me ask you a question. I don't want you to answer me out loud, but I know you know the answer to this, and even more importantly, God knows as well. And you have not hid it from him. What is the junk and what is the garbage that you've allowed in your life? What is the junk and the garbage, right? If you claim to be a Christian, right, if, if, if you wear that name tag, right, and if you've truly been born again, then you are the temple of God. So let me ask you, what junk and what garbage have you let into the temple? What is in the temple today that does not belong? Do you not realize that that stuff that you let into your life, that you let, we let it in through our ears and through our eyes and through our mind, right? It comes in and we dwell on it and we think on it and we, we lust after it and we, and we desire to have it or do it or whatever the case may be. Don't you realize that that stuff drives a wedge between us and God? 
Isaiah 59, chapter 59, verses 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities, that's another word for sins, right? Your sins, your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear, that he will not hear. What am I trying to say this morning? We got to clean the house. It is it is time to clean out God's house. Now is the time to get the junk and the garbage out. Why? Because your fellowship, uh, your worship uh, with God has stopped. Right? As long as the junk is in there, the fellowship and the worship has stopped. It's been severed. It's been cut off. And it will remain that way until you clean, until you get the temple cleaned out. You ever thought about that? As long as you've got that junk in there, nothing is getting through to God. Nothing is happening in the temple. God is not pleased with any of the sacrifices that take place. He is not hearing. As you, you know, the burning of the altar and incense is representative of our prayers, right? Coming up as a sweet odor before God. Uh, the junk in the temple is stopping it from happening. It is sad. It is sad that we can't even pray for those that we care for and those that we love and maybe those who are going through things. Maybe their life hangs in the balance and we can't even pray. Our prayers don't... You can say the words all you want, but they don't even get anywhere because of the junk that you've let into your life and your heart. Clean out the temple. Clean out the temple. Because nothing is happening in the temple because the doors are shut. And it's full of junk. But we've got a promise. In 1 John 1 6, right? The word tells us if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So the first thing the scripture does is it calls us out. Right? The first thing this verse says is if you say that you're a Christian, right? That's what fellowship with him means, right? But actually, you walk in darkness, right? If, you got, if you're actually a Christian, you walk in light, right? So if you claim to be a Christian, but you actually live like the rest of the world, you walk in darkness, the Bible says you're a liar. That's what it says. It says we lie and do not the truth. If we say that we're a Christian and we live like the world, we're liars. But we don't have to continue to walk in darkness. It doesn't have to continue to be that way. If you go down a couple more verses to the ninth verse, right? The Bible tells us, 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you hear the promise that's actually being said there? Really, it's God that does the hard work of cleaning out the temple, Right? So often we think, I'll come to the Lord just as soon as I take care of this, this, and this in my life. Right? I'll straighten up and get right with God. I know that I'm not living like I should. I know that you know that I don't go to church like I should. I know I don't read my Bible like I should. I know I don't pray like I should. I know I don't have any real fellowship or walk with God. I know that it's because I've let these things in or because I'm doing these things or I'm living this lifestyle or whatever the case may be, right? I, 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 I'm... 
you know, dealing with this addiction or whatever it may be. And, and, I, and I, what I'll do is, is I'll take care of that stuff first, and then I can come back to God. Then I'll start doing the other things I need to. It doesn't work that way. That's backwards. That's the opposite. You can try to get rid of that stuff and clean it up until you're blue in the face. And you know what you'll do? You'll fall on your face over and over and over again. Step one is repent. Turn to God. He is the one that does the hard work. He's the one that does the cleaning. We've just got to be willing to admit that we messed up and that we made the mess. That sounds easy when I say it, but it's not because we like to be prideful. Right? And we blame everything else. It's my parents' fault. It's society's fault. If it wasn't for, and then you put it in there, whatever it is, right? If it wasn't because this incident happened to me earlier in my life, if it wasn't because the the deck is stacked against me, if it wasn't because the system was this way, or whatever the case may be, right? We've got our excuses. That is not owning it. That's not saying, God, I made a mess. That's saying, God... Somebody else made the mess, but will you clean it up? That sounds like my kids, doesn't it? (laughs) Look, it's simple as this. Admit that you messed up and that you made the mess. Right? That's really what repentance is. And and, And that you have a heart to turn away from it and be willing to submit ourselves to God. So that he can do the cleaning. That's what that's that's how the temple gets clean. And there will not be any revival. Church, as long as we sit here and blame everything else, everyone and everything else, and oh, society's in such a bad shape because of these people over here, and oh, those churches over there, they've you know, they dropped the ball and they went liberal and they've done this and they've done that. We're going to have to humble ourselves. We're going to have to repent. We're going to have to turn to God. We're going to have to pray. We're going to have to seek the face of God. We're going to have to own the mess, right? We're going to have to say, God, I have messed up and I have made this mess. Lord, help me. That's the only way. That's the only way to get taken care of in your life. That's the only way to get taken care of in the church, in our community, and in our nation. And it begins, right, where, where the revival start? On the inside, and it worked its way out. It starts right here, the inside of you and I. Jennifer, will you come, please? Jennifer is coming for a song of invitation. I don't know your heart, and I don't know where you stand. But I'm going to invite you to stand this morning, and the altar is open. As she begins to play, if you've got a need, if you've got a heavy burden, I'm going to ask you to come this morning. Maybe, maybe you've realized for the, for the first time that you're not where you ought to be with God, that you're lost and that you're undone. Today's the day to come and, and to give your life to Him, right? He's standing here with open arms waiting for you. Maybe, maybe you realize that you're not once where you were, that you've fallen away. Here's the chance to come this morning.
Maybe you've got a need. Maybe you've got a burden for somebody. Maybe God placed somebody on your heart. Maybe there's somebody going through some things and you just need to come and pray for them. Whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity. Right? Don't be, don't be too proud, too prideful. Don't worry what other people think. It doesn't matter what they think. All that matters is what God thinks. Would you come this morning? Whatever the need, whatever the burden, would you come this morning? Would you come?